Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, like, you're good by the next day as long as you had a sandwich and a nap. Okay, on this episode, we're going to go through um, some basic ideas um, about how to think about how uh, adaptations occur in training and how that relates to periodization. I believe we ended the last episode with saying that we're going to talk about some stress uh, or some, I guess, some ideas about stress and then some variables. Um, uh, I guess variables outside of the training program that would impact the training program and that will therefore um, basically make like a planned periodization rigid um, a conforming program pretty much impossible uh, okay and the guys are going to go through that later Jason and uh, Scott and Tom is going to participate as well today <laughs> he laughs but he is going to participate Okay, so like background, like really, really, really quick, uh, greasy overview. Um, I, I guess like a, a really common term people would hear is something called supercompensation, and that's the re- the simple idea of like let's say you do back squats on Monday, you rest until Friday, you do fr- you do back squats again on Friday, and they're better. It means you've supercompensated, um, and that's based on what's called the general adaptation syndrome from Hensellier. And that's probably 70, 80 years ago. And I believe, I can't remember this, but I believe his book he wrote on the subject is called The Stress of Life. Um, either way, so like really quick idea of Selye's model of the general adaptation syndrome is you have a y-axis and an x-axis. The y-axis is some undefined um, thing, and the x-axis is time. So let's just say, again, you start on the Monday with the back squats, you do your back squats, um, so there's a, there's a training impulse, so there's a stress, and the stress is the squatting. Um, after doing that, there will be some reduction in, in something. And your body over time, as you take that stress away, you will go from the alarm phase, which is following the back squats, and then you will have some rest, and you will allow for resistance to occur, which is the second phase, the resistance phase. And during resistance, you should then recover back and potentially go over your previous ability, which is the supercompensation effect. And if you rest adequately and you do it again, you should see continued improvements over time. Um, but if you don't do that, and then you're like most CrossFit people, you do heavy back squats on Monday and then even heavier ones on Tuesday, and you triple down on Wednesday. So... <laughs> The alarm phase just keeps going and that alarm gets really loud and loud and you try to resist and you try to resist but you can't and then so you reach stage three of exhaustion uh, in hell in hellier in cellier's terms uh, exhaustion is actually death which um to quote uh, lyle mcdonald in his <laughs> in his youtube comments on this is like that's pretty extreme <laughs> if, if you're training your athletes that hard <laughs> <laughs> or he said, that's pretty hardcore stuff. <laughs> You're training them to death. <laughs> so either way. Um, so again, this uh, Cellier's idea of general adaptation syndrome has 
alarm, resistance, and then hopefully you keep going and getting better. Or if you don't do that, you work too hard, you reach exhaustion. So the thing with that is that if you, and we will post the, we will post the diagram and the, the graph for this, is that it does explain kind of what you do see. Like you see someone do, your, do their training um, and they come back later, like especially if they're a beginner, right? They come back five days later, do squatting again, and like, oh, look, you added weight to the bar. So if you look at visually, you look at the graph and you go, well, Monday they did that, the alarm happened, and then they, res they had a resistance adaptation occur over those few days. Now, Friday, they're better, so I guess we've super compensated, right? And that's what we're going for, right? That's cool. So, um, it, it, so like it, it does sort of explain what you would see. The only thing is it's, just, it's, not, it's not how things work. Um, what I would say is a better representation than that is what's something called the fitness fatigue theory. And again, we will post uh, the graphs of this as well. And again, this is all about stress application and then what happens following that. Because this is what you're trying to do with training. You have all these multiple different stress applications you're giving people. And you're trying to give it to them in the right way, in the right manner, in the right amount. Um, and you're trying to have that line go down and then come back up. And hopefully they're better. And then hopefully they're better when it matters. And that being at a competition or something. So fitness fatigue, uh, quickly, the, f they base the, first, the first level of explanation there is that it looks almost identical it does look identical to the general adaptation syndrome in that your performance on a back squat, like, you know, a day later will go down and over time the performance will go back up if you allow for adequate recovery. The main difference is that um, there's two parts of the explanation is that for all these stressors you provide in terms of training, you have fitness after effects and you have fatigue after effects. And so let's just say you do that back squat uh, on Monday you will have improvements, immediate improvements from that back squat. It's just that those improvements will be masked by the greater aspect of the fatigue. Okay, So when you do a back squat, you will have improvements and you will have decrements. And those are fitness after effects and fatigue after effects. And again, if you just follow, follow along, you'll, uh, when we, if you do see the graph, you will, uh, it'll make sense to you. Um, the most important thing is that, and this is this is a general assumption, it's not always the same, and it's not the same per person, but generally the fitness after effects are not as large, but they last longer, so they're more long-lasting, which is obvious because people do get better. Um, and the fatigue after effects are usually larger, and but more short in duration. So again, that's where you get the same explanation of, yeah, the person squatted on Friday, they, one day they came back and they were better on Friday. So the, they must have super compensated. It's like, well, no, it's just that the fatigue after effects are now outstripping the fit, the sorry, the fitness after effects are now outstripping the fatigue after effects. And that's what you want. So that's a really quick and dirty explanation uh, for people to get their, maybe just get on, I, I wouldn't say get on the you know, 21st century because I don't like saying that, but it's just a better way of understanding what you're seeing in terms of progressions and like and, and visually what you're seeing not not actually what's happening on a molecular basis but visually what's happening what you're seeing in front of you you have fitness after effects you have fatigue after effects and there are multiple dimensions of the fitness after effects and there's multiple dimensions of the fatigue after effects um, and we will post a link to a good article that talks about this and they go into lots of great depth about differences associated with like speed training 
uh, or maximal strength training or volume or endurance uh, training for people who are like uh, novices versus people who are advanced. Um, yeah, lots, there's lots of lots of really good uh, lots of really good topics in there for coaches. Do you guys have any comments on that first? Well, like the general adaptation that curve is like a heuristic where you're just using something that like you can observe and it's not really an, an, an it's not really an analysis of what is happening but it's more of an observation of the outcome of what's going on below the surface so it's a heuristic right is that i i guess so yeah yeah it's a and like it again the the fitness fatigue model does still incorporate that exact curve but they label the y-axis. So, but you're going into a deeper level of analysis. Yeah. Because you can easily label the y-axis in that adaptation as performance, just mm -hmm. like they do in the, the fitness fatigue one. Yeah. Like, it's easy. Yeah. But so, but it's, it's a good enough way of looking at it that you can understand. Like, it's not a good analysis of what's happening, but it's good enough mm -hmm. to be like, well, obviously, after you do something, you're not as good at it. Mm -hmm. And then you become better afterwards. Yeah, and the, but there are there just we'll have a little carve this out here. There's a little, there there are exceptions to that, right? And this this article gives lots of these little little examples to help people understand. So if you have a beginner and you have them do like let's say um, heavy back squats, and then you have them do box jumps afterwards, what what like what beginners will usually what usually happens is that they accumulate more fatigue from the back squat in part A. Then they accumulate fitness and so the back squat doesn't help their box jump when you go to someone who's an advanced level trainee what they see is that it's more it's more common to see that post activation potentiation in advanced trainees because their fitness after effects outstrip the fatigue after effects from that one thing and so you can see it show up in part b okay and that's just based on the training age of the people mm -hmm. and that that's one simple example um, that they use that's more common in the literature to see um, yeah that's a good point what else the other thing I was going to say is I mean after a while the accumulated stress is going to maybe be less in magnitude but it's going to persist for a longer period of time right so then it, you may not be able to strip away the fitness after effect as easily from the fatigue after effect say six weeks into a cycle versus week one into a cycle mm-hmm does that make sense? So the point I'm trying to make is at some point that cum accumulation of, of stress is going to have to be uh, addressed in the, ch in the sense of a taper. And that might be six weeks. It might mm -hmm. be eight, 12, whatever. It depends on the yeah. person. But at some point, a, a taper is going to have to happen, right, as a result of the accumulated stress. Yeah, and that, but I guess also within this, right, you would say the reason variation has to occur in your training, and you can't, like when you get to weeks four, five, and six, is because there you may be getting less fitness after effects now, like you there may be less you may, you may have less prompting for adaptation from this training. But then, what do you just a simple scenario is increase the stress? Yeah. Well, again, this is where it goes back to what we said last time. The two most important aspects of a good training program is progression and variation, right? But you obviously don't like it, you don't want it to be constantly varied because I don't think that makes sense. Um, and you don't want the progression to be rapid. It has to be somewhat intelligible and control but those two things have to occur yeah and it's it's hard to say there's again because we go back to the last one of the dart throwing chimps and it's we're still in the same situation of i don't know i don't know how it's going to work out but 
But as a programming, you're trying to balance having enough stress to cause the fitness after effects mm-hmm. without so much that the fatigue after effects cause exhaustion eventually yeah. or, or injury. Mm-hmm. So you're getting so, like you're trying to balance that. That's that's the game, I guess. Yeah, that's the part of it. Yeah, exactly. How do you uh, keep track of that? Like, how do you? <sighs> how do I keep track of what? How much fatigue someone's accumulating? Like, how do you keep track of it? You can't. You can only measure it based on the performance. Uh, you do like use you, like you, a... would, you would assume that like if like if your training is like continually down, you would go. He's under a lot of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Like if his squatting numbers are persistently down or just down a little bit or his like weightlifting numbers are down a little bit you're like he's probably really fatigued that's what's happening we gotta we have to slow it down here somewhere or whatever and this is where these other other things go in you're like well he only trains four days a week there's unlikely we're overdoing it so what else is happening then we you investigate other aspects of his life that may be adding to that fitness that the fatigue aspect right where it's it's slowing the recovery of that fatigue curve or it's magnifying it right it's magnifying it and that's what we'll talk about after with the other options um, is that like whatever hap- what's happening at home what's happening with your nutrition what's happening with your sleep that may be hampering that fatigue thing right so it's just it's exacerbating what that little stress was it, if that was the case if you're like well he's likely not overtraining. He's there's something else going on so he's probably under eating he's not sleeping enough he has eight kids or something so he doesn't sleep <laughs> he's sleeping right now even though he's looking at you <laughs> um yeah, anything else about that one? I don't know. I think you, yeah, from experience, you start to see little cues in yeah. how people even respond to what you're giving them. Like one of my things that I, that are, is a blinking red light for maybe not training stress, but life stress is if someone is lifting and they get, they're like, uh, everything felt great. And then above this weight, I just couldn't do it. I'm like, well, like, I know how much you've done in the last week from, from training. You should be able to, but something, your body's like no mm-hmm. and they're like okay that's maybe not to do with training you might not be telling me everything that's going on with your life mm-hmm. but something is not related strictly to training that's stopping you from doing this right yeah. now mm-hmm. yeah and th- there's again th- when, when we if, when we post the graph if you're kind of looking around or if you're listening to this and going i don't know what the hell they're talking about if you look at the graph it'll become very obvious to you and you'll be like okay this makes a lot of sense even just simple things like the idea of the of the gas man um, is that like and it's like and this is where this is where it goes into more of the um, the alternative explanation. So the, fit, the fitness fatigue model just kind of explains what you're seeing in front of you. Um, the next like the, the the general adaptation syndrome has the word adaptation in it, but it doesn't explain how that occurs whatsoever. It's just it's explained as a time course. Like over time, that's how it happens. You're like, okay, but like what's happening right and this is where you have something called the signal transduction hypothesis which really quickly you have sensing proteins signaling proteins adaptive responses and to make that a really simple example um so you do bicep curls you have a sensing protein so it senses the mechanical tension it sends signals to the signaling protein which sends signals to uh, the adaptive response and increase in protein synthesis and hopefully building more muscles you have a net protein deposition in that bicep that's a really quick explanation, but that goes along with everything. It goes along in terms of endurance training um, and explains like explains why high intensity training has different effects or different adaptations than lower intensity training, or why they could have similar effects. Um, 
yeah, it's so that that goes in depth uh, into actually explaining how you're actually adapting to exercise. And they make a point in this book to basically say that the general adaptation syndrome, while useful, still does not explain whatsoever how you adapt to training. And therefore, his, their next step is like, you shouldn't be talking about supercompensation because that's not a thing that occurs. Um, they use the example, the classic example of muscle glycogen going like, yes, muscle glycogen and liver glycogen does do supercompensate after complete depletion and endurance training, it'll go back up. Like, but nothing else does that. Nerves don't do that. Capillaries don't do that. Muscle fibers don't do that. Whatever. Um, and like, you don't need rest sp specifically. Like, rest isn't required for adaptation to occur. And they use examples like obvious things. The heart. The heart gets better. It doesn't stop. I don't think. <laughs> You'd know uh, if it did stop. And then there's all kinds of other studies they use. Um, but there's there's very mechanistic explanations, and this is a lot of what you would see in science today when you when they talk about adaptations to stuff. Yeah, but diff different tissue would take different lengths of time to adapt based on the stresses. Yeah, they, you have all different types of adaptations occurring, right? Like muscle glycogen recovery is a lot different than angiogenesis. It's a total different thing, right? And in building more capillaries is a lot different than transition and fi fiber types. Because you have, there's, this is where it gets really in depth, but you don't need to worry about that. But it's called the signal transduction hypothesis. Um, I can post a link to, uh, well, it, it's a textbook, um, but there's a really, there's a, there's a really easy chapter in it. Like the first two pages of the of that one chapter will just cover this, and it'll, it covers the discussion on supercompensation, general adaptation syndrome, why that is not a good way to think of it, and it quickly introduces the signal transduction hypothesis and. Uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, it's just two pages of reading and it will help you out. Um, okay, so the reason we cover those first two things is because, again, w uh, we wanted to cover some ideas of stress um, and stress adaptation because that's what training is. And we're not, tr we're not trying to get into any really nitty-gritty details like to talk about, like, well, this is why you prescribe this many sets versus this sets. We're trying to talk about it on a grand view so you can kind of s try to give you, we'll try, try to help you see things, I guess, in a better light. Um, in that the fitness fatigue, fitness fatigue model is a better way of understanding how how your performance moves and signal transduction is how you actually adapt to training. Um, okay, so within a training program, and like we were talking about last time, um, with periodization, like let's just say, again, the very, very rigid periodization structure of this is what we're doing in December, uh, this is what we're going to do in January, this is what we're doing in February, this is what we're doing in March, um, and then so we're, I mean, we're going to plan out what we're going to do in these subsequent months. And we have all this planned out, and we're going to go from this phase to this phase to this block to this block. And we're going to follow these progressions. All the while knowing you have no idea if that's how it's going to work out, right? So that's, that's our main critique. You, you can't predict what's going to happen, and you can't predict the adaptive response. You can't predict the signal transduction. You don't know how that's going to work. Because there's many, many variables and many stressors going on at the same time. It's not just what days are you training, how many sets are you doing, how many reps are you doing, what's the rest time, what's the movement. That's that's not all the stressors involved. Um, so I just want the guys to give one example each of a stressor that cannot be controlled in a training program but must be accommodated to when it appears. So we'll have Big Tom go first. My client, um, she had a baby recently and... 
well, it, it was several months ago and we had spent time building up her strength since having the baby and everything. And we slowly started getting back into more CrossFit style training. And as we started ramping up gymnastic volume, uh, like ring muscle up, bar muscle up specifically, she started to have some uh, shoulder issue from a tight pec. And it actually came from the way that she, we're assuming from the way that she was holding her baby because she was constantly holding it in, I think, her left arm. And so, yeah, we had to completely adjust the training because it was literally week one of this uh, cycle I had planned out. And, yeah, had to do more single arm stuff and recommendations from Cairo. Give me another, oh, give me another example of, of then a client where they had, you had something planned, an injury happened, you had to change it. Another scenario was uh, this guy was doing, training for the military trying to pass his fitness test and he was doing a lot of running and then uh fitness test comes along and he ends up starting to have he he does his fitness test and he passes and then we're just resuming training to do more crossfit style stuff because that was what he was originally doing but we had spent more time doing running pull-ups push-ups etc and then for some reason when we started switching to the crossfit uh training he started to have a weird nerve pain in his left leg and to the point where it was like causing numbness and tingling down his leg. And then in that scenario, he's not able to do almost any lower body training at all. He has to do just easy biking and rowing, but then all of the other training is just mostly upper body focused strength work, et cetera. Is that what you're asking? Well, I'm asking for the same example, similar example we just gave from the like you had a training program, you had some ideas planned for this individual, she had a child, and now she had a left shoulder injury, then yeah. you have to change everything, or you have to, you have to work around and change it all, mm-hmm. right? A uh, quick example, I have some guy in Winnipeg, um, it was too cold, he's soft, I hope he listens to this, uh, <sighs> he didn't want to do his running, and he's, he's training for running, and he mm-hmm. wants to do um, like Spartan stuff and that type of thing. And he didn't want to run. He's like, dude, I'm not running. It's minus 40 here. And I was like, why are you so soft? <laughs> but I did change it for him. And then so, but then you have to work that around because he had, he trained, he didn't run for a cycle. So it's a week and I don't want him to go right back into the training load he had before, which it would have probably been a bit more in terms of running. So I have to kind of tone it down just slightly for that following week when he goes back to running and then resume. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to let those fitness after effects without the fatigue after effects. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's lots of things going on there, right? There, but that's just one example. Yeah, I think injuries are the easy, easy and example. most obvious one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I had uh, someone who uh, gave me a heads up that there was some um, personal issues at home that were that were that were coming down, um, and so I made an adjustment to overall stress because I mean it's all, from from doing this for a long time it's obvious it seems obvious it's self-evident that you can only handle x amount of stress so if you know that this person say is getting a divorce you know that there's no way that they're they're going to be able to handle as much training stress they're just not going to be able to do it um so with the forewarning i dialed back the training this person i'd been working with for years i i knew everything that they had been doing for years for training and They'd gone, I think, four or five years with no injuries at all, zero. 
and even with the forewarning and knowing to dial down the intensity inevitably it was too much and that person ended up with some nagging injuries that that were completely i would say unpredictable because it's never happened before and it was a lower training intensity and volume than they were accustomed to so with that feedback again you just go like okay that's still too much dial it way back address some of the nagging injuries that show up from essentially too much stress and then uh and then slowly build back up after that but i mean like even knowing what was happening and adjusting for it it's you still had to i still had to adjust again and it was just like okay well it, like i said it just seems obvious from from years of doing this that someone can't handle more stress when life stress comes into into uh, account it's not like you you feel shitty at home and you're like oh i'm gonna do even better at the gym it's like i don't know of anybody who's ever had that i said i've known of people that had a bad day and come and and sweat it out but that's not a long-term strategy for success yeah, it's that's an interesting point right it's hard but like to a counter to that of like where you said when you say people that have have it bad at home and they're not really successful is that what you mean or it's just hard to be successful when you're under that much stress. When when stress increases yeah. at home. Yeah. One interesting side point from that, I think, is from actually Matt Fitzgerald's book, How Bad Do You Want It? They talk about people who, some of the best endurance athletes of all time, it might have been How Bad Do You Want It? Or it might be Iron War. Um, they, have, they have bad childhoods. Yeah. And they have things that happen to them. And that's part of what pushes them. Is that is that like that anger? And what and what that did to their brain it's interesting it's a very interesting side effect where he's like the downside is you're not a happy person and you're never satisfied and you're never fulfilled the upside is you're the best that's ever done it right so you just goes you go to the point and this is another side effect of going back to the point he's talking about this in relation to samuel marcora's ideas of endurance and being like like how is how essential is it for me to perform this task and to win it's I will die to do it, right? My motivation is as high as it possibly can be, and I'm willing to experience whatever level of effort is required, right? Those people are impossible to beat. How do you get that recipe, right? But anyway, most times, that's not how it works, right? That's not how it works for most people. All right, Scott, you do yours. Um, I, I have a couple, so I'll, I'll use the first one. Uh, it was a client who came to me. I've been training her now for, I want to say, going on three and a half, four years, maybe. And she has some uh, autoimmune stuff. And so we, I know about it. She disclosed it to me, but with the specific autoimmune um, conditions that she's dealing with, they're, they're unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So coming up with a prolonged plan just doesn't work because sometimes we might get like three cycles completed with no issues, or we might get two weeks into one. And have a flare up and then it's good for a couple weeks and then she has a flare up that lasts like three weeks that it impacts her training and that she just cannot continue to do the resistance training or the, the the amount of stress the amount of volume that she was originally planned to do and we have to pivot on a dime so even though we know it's a, it, it's an issue it's unpredictable as to when it's going to affect her training and then having to adjust that uh, accordingly um, is obviously unpredictable as a result um, so that one makes it challenging, obviously, in terms, and it obviously it wouldn't fit the traditional periodization model. Um, so being able to adapt for her 
on a regular basis is key to her success and key to her being able to stay at, um, you know, this, for her, it's more of a hobby, right? Um, she's a fitness enthusiast. She just wants to be able to feel strong, feel fit and continue to do that for as long as she possibly can. Um, so that's, that's that one client. And then I had another client who, uh, again, more of a fitness enthusiast, but was kind of like, he's been training him and his wife both train here with me and they've been training for coming up on four years now, I think. And after a long hiatus, wanted to get back into it. And they've made a ton of progress over the last three years in terms of strength, fitness, and then boom, towards ACL playing basketball. And so we're like, okay, so obviously we have to completely pivot. He had to take time off, obviously, for a while. And then it was a matter of how do we rehab the knee to the point where you can actually use it and it can function prior to surgery. And then how do we rehab it after surgery? So then obviously that put a, a wrench into our current progression that we were working on prior to him tearing his uh, ACL. But um, yeah. Another, you have another example? Uh, that sure you got a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I've got a ton. Like people with just different health diagnosis, uh, people having kids, like Tom said. Um, personal, my own personal experience where you, you know you have a child in the hospital for a prolonged period of time, which obviously impacts training. There's, I mean, there's there's tons of examples. I mean, we could talk about it all day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just having the ability as a coach to be able to pivot when yeah. you need to and adapt when you need to to keep your clients on track it may be different but at least they're they're still doing something and they're still working towards some of their fitness goals even if they can't work to all of them is a big deal for those people right and for us to be to be able to do that um you know makes us really valuable to that person and obviously um being able to help them in those times where things are challenging whether it's you know something personal something like a, a physical limitation like i talked about the acl it, that they can continue to pursue their fitness goals is invaluable to them. Yeah, that's what coaching is about. It's about like meeting the person where they're at, working with them, guiding them, and there's no predetermined path. It's you have to go with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's like that's that's where you get it. That's where you. I think it's the part, the periodization part, that kind of confuses me a bit. Is that it? That's so obvious to everybody. Like everyone knows that this is this happens to every every athlete or even every client, right? Like they go through these ups and downs, and it's ups and downs you can't plan for, but you have to go with them, right? And you have to you have to kind of experience it as best you can with them, and that's not that doesn't mean you follow them around and you talk to them every day. It's that you have to try to get on their wavelength so that you can meet them where they're at with their training and what they should be doing and what's appropriate for them, um, because you know those stressors. Um, just call them stressors, whatever. They're going to affect how they can recover from things, and it's going to affect the the the, the fatigue after effects, um, and their willingness to train is then going to fati- going to change the fitness after effects, and the stress induced will then potentially change the signal transduction. So how they, how all these things work together, I don't know. Um, and that's why that's the whole point of the first podcast is like I don't know how to tell you how this equation equals something. Um, because it's really hard. It's really hard to, to make sense of. Um, but that's what having a coach is there for. It's for them to talk to you, communicate with you, um, and just to be the person to try to help guide you through whatever it is that you're going through. And that was the point of having the guys give those examples, is that like these are, these are variables you can't predict happening, um, but you have to work with 
like there's like it doesn't there's no such thing as like well yeah sure this major life stressor happened but we're still going to stick to the exact plan that's that's complete that's that's a failure obviously what it is is yeah you had this life stressor happen now how do we deal with this like how do we how do we work with this situation how do we work with this new environment it's been like this whole last year for a lot of people like seriously yeah. how many people have trained at home for 50 percent of this last year yeah and how does that affect what you give them yeah. right a lot some people just don't want to work out in their house for they're like just give me short workouts so i can go do them and that's what they want to do they're like i just want to go and do the workouts and and just i want to work out every day like 15 to 20 minutes one person he's like i just want it but i don't want to stop to think about what i'm doing i literally just want it to be variations of non-stop work because that's how it's going to get me to keep doing it because i hate this right and that's for them they're like i hate doing this this sucks and that's a yeah that's a challenging thing to work with and it's very volatile it changes lots and they're like well i really don't want to do this anymore so i'm just going to take a couple of days off it's like okay and they came back okay so it's like it's that's how some people react to this stuff any other comments What's the next podcast we'll do about that? <laughs> Does it have this written down somewhere? I don't know. We'll get back to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, tune in next week. Yeah, tune in next week for and Actually, not, it won't be next week. It'll be a little while later. Uh, we'll, there will there'll definitely be another podcast on the um, topic of periodization. I don't know exactly what it'll be about, um, but it'll be about something. And um, as well, I forgot to say, Make sure you go to our website. Click on that. Uh, <laughs> the if you're interested in our upcoming uh, coaching seminars, which will happen sometime in the coming couple of years, add yourself to the list. But one thing we actually are going to do um, is we're going to send out these periodic, like little do-it-yourself homework things if you want to. So uh, the first the first do-it-yourself homework thing will be about um, for those that are interested, because we've had some people. Like ask and it's usually through Instagram they send messages and ask where did you get this study where did you get this information so for the first topic will be about power duration and uh, we'll just send out that information to anyone that signs up or just um, puts in their email on our website for the coaching list and the education stuff you'll just get that sent to you whenever we do send it out um, and it'll be a, bu- a few couple articles that I think are quite representative of the topic and if you decide to read them you'll have a really good understanding of what we're talking about and the concept as a whole and then there'll be additional reading afterwards like not the required not the not the suggested reading it'll be the additional if you really want to dig into it here's here's another layer that you can go into and the next one we'll just we'll probably just do the uh, San Marcora's uh, psychobiological model and then we'll probably uh, do the periodization stuff after that Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. 
And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to OptimumPerformanceCalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.